Utah's best sports radio is on the Zone Sports Network. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is... And it's time to kick off Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Our next guests are the co-hosts of the very popular radio program entitled The Big Show. The Big Show. This is The Big Show. They call me Hollywood. Here come The Big Show. Big Show. show. Ladies and gentlemen, The Big Show. It's a big show. Is everybody ready? Monday, Monday. Just another manic Monday. Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's the Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Happy Monday. Jake Scott with you from our Vivint Smart Home Arena studios. Austin Horton across the glass from me. Safely social distancing from Casa de Monson, the one, the only, Gordon Monson. Hello, Gordon. How are you today, Jake? Doing fine. How about yourself? How was uh, Mother's Day? Everything go all right? Oh, yeah. It was really, really good. Uh Mother's Day is one of those days that uh, is kind of, I think, a little extra something there. And uh, so uh, hats off to all the mothers and all the all the women out there, because so many of them help in one way or another with uh, everybody's kids. So, uh, yeah. So how about you? Do you have a good one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How did uh, not getting anything for Lisa work out? I got her something. You told us you weren't. I did. Yeah, you did. You said I uh, lied. You said you. She's not your mom. Yeah, I was kidding about that. She's the mother of my children. Austin, did it sound like Gordon was kidding? Well, it, it, it sounded. <laughs> it sounded like every year when he says <laughs> when I don't he get said her that. Anything, yeah. And then and then caves. Uh, well, she's not my mom. Yeah, hmm. right. I got her uh, a, a uh, an arrangement of orchids. Is that okay? Oh, the mom is. Oh. Orchids, huh? Yeah. So I gave Isn't that a that. funeral flower? Did you clip them yourself? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I left that to the professionals. And then I gave my mom, who's in her 94th year, uh, a uh, an arrangement of things as well. And then I gave all my daughters, you know, Minky Couture blankets. Nice. Did they like them? Yes, they did. How could you not like that? Correct. Got to agree there. So yeah, I uh, I think I went a little bit above and beyond the call of duty there, but then uh, they do that every day too. So it it was good. How about you? Did uh, was Naz pleased with your you know your well thought out appreciation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I we had a wonderful day. Uh, it was it was really great. Ate a lot and of great wonder, food. And your wonderful mom, did you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's one of the n- nicest people on the planet? Absolutely. We uh, uh, you, t- you took good care of her. We we made sure to and made a great day of it. It 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 was you know these <laughs> everything's going to be unique this year, right? I mean, it was yeah. a unique Mother's Day. It was not the norm, and we missed going out to brunch, which is what we usually do, and didn't get a chance to do that this year. And that's fine. We still made you, a nice day of it. What do you suppose Austin did? I'm sure uh, spoiled his wonderful wife and mother. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? 
Uh, Would yeah, you expect no, anything? supposed to do, but I'm not sure what he did. Austin, do you want to fill Gordon in on what you I, what I, you did? I did quite a bit. Got her flowers, of course, right. that I arranged uh, myself because I've got a, uh, I used to do that for work. I don't know if you oh, knew that you about did? me. Yeah. Good uh, for you. And then uh, Sunday morning, uh, the baby woke up at like 4:15 and was wide <laughs> awake for the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> the baby and I hung out for several hours while uh, my wife slept in, and then we made her waffles. All right. And we gave her a couple gifts. We got we gave her some really personal, thought out, uh, special gifts that made her ball her eyes out. So, did you write her a poem or write her a note? No, no quack 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 crack 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 splat from our household. No, no. You know, I know uh, this isn't the case because Austin did used to work uh, arranging flowers. But just when you say I arranged them myself, I'm just picturing you going out into the yard and like snipping some dandelions and throwing dandelions. like a, <laughs> throwing like an elastic around them. Well, they, you can make a wish on them. Right. See, I, I I arranged you some flowers. <laughs> Here's what I was able to scrounge up in the yard. Happy this one's Mother's called Day. Morning Glory. <laughs> Let this be uh, a reflection of my deep seated feeling for you. And this one, I call it Bishop's Weed. <laughs> and this gonna, is a cattail. You're going to love it. <laughs> oh, man. But Well, yeah. it sounds like you really, uh, Austin, you hit, a, you hit a home run there, man. Yeah, yeah, except my wife had a moment where things she can say that I can't. Because she was real. I had this book made for her that uh, you, you fill in the, the child's name and you pick what the character in the book looks like. But then they essentially write the rest of the book for you. Uh-huh. And she opened it, she said, and she started to cry. She said, I know this doesn't take much effort, but it still means a lot. I was like, what do you, what excuse you, me? It took a great amount of effort. What she meant was she didn't want it to seem like she was overdramatic about it. She Uh-oh. liked it so much, but the way it came out was, I know this didn't take much effort, but thanks so anyway. So, so, so she was minimizing what you had done so that people would understand that she was the weird one for overreacting. Uh, yeah, I think that's what her attempt was, but it just came out with, I wish you would have tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. Yeah, I'm oh, glad uh, you liked it. That's good. Though. Yeah. That's all that matters. Hey, I have a question for you, too. I need I need a dream interpreted. Oh, no. Because I had one last night. Bishop out of town? <laughs> you know, I had one last night, and I, and I don't know about you, but during this period of time of... The, uh, you know, our, the situation in which we find ourselves. I've been having quite a few dreams. Have you? I guess. Uh, I mean, have you or haven't you? I've had dreams, Gordon. I often have okay. dreams. I think most people have dreams when they sleep at night. All right. Well, I, I had a dream that I actually remembered when I woke up. And I need you to interpret it. All right. Okay. You there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. All right, so I had a dream that I was driving a sports car down the freeway, okay? So it's really no different than reality so far. But I had a... Now, don't, now all you dog lovers out there, don't want you coming after me now. But I had a leash in my hand, and a dog was running outside the car alongside me. Now, we're up to our long-distance dedication. <laughs> and, man, that dog was really running. And it was a little dog. It was, it was a small dog. And it was, it was running 
alongside the car. And I was going freeway speeds, and this thing was just running alongside the car. But at one point, another motorist rode up next to me and started yelling at me for what I was doing. And so I looked in the rear view, and I saw that the dog was kind of spinning around a little bit. So I stopped the car right there on the freeway, reached out, got the dog, pulled him into the car, and held on to him and kept driving. But then I came to a bridge. <laughs> I came to a bridge, and, and it was over water. But the bridge was, like, on the water. And the dog was outside the car again, and I had him by the leash. And I thought, I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> the dog's underwater. <laughs> so, so I pulled the dog back in after a minute or so. And it was, you know, gasping for breath and whatnot. And so then I started to, you know, cuddle it and try to make it feel better. Uh, but I, 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 it was a miserable experience because I felt like I was hurting the dog, but I didn't mean to be hurting the dog. But I can't explain to you why I had the dog outside the car instead of in the car. What's it all mean? Uh, you have too many dogs in your life. <laughs> I think so. And cars. <laughs> too many dogs, too many cars. You're lashing, oh, uh, lashing back at the dogs and cars. Well, we do have a we do have a a six year old wolf that lives in our house, and we have a a, a puppy that's kind of a, a mix of like German Shepherd and uh, Malamute, and uh, I think some uh, something else in there. But anyway. so uh, it says here, the meaning of cars and dreams represent you and reveal how you are getting through life, and dogs and dreams represent friendship, loyalty, protection, and can be a stand-in for a friend or family member you're wanting to protect. But I wasn't protecting it very well. He was drowning it. So which family member <laughs> are you drowning? <laughs> can you make that connection, really, with two different things, two different objects that happen to be in the dream? But, well, I got to admit that the action I was taking wasn't exactly noble. But I don't understand why I just didn't have the dog in my car to begin with. I don't know, Mitt Romney. You tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Mitt leave a dog on top of his car? Wasn't that I a thought, thing? He did? Thought, yeah. There was a story about that. Yeah. Lord Griswold, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was disturbing to me because I, I like animals. I mean, I I don't necessarily uh, love having a dog. I, I, I've had good experiences with with uh, various pet dogs through the years, but but I felt bad because it was just a need to be a little, little dog, and uh, it was trying to keep up with my with me in my car. Now, there's a joke that my father-in-law used to tell about a dog in a a Quattro uh, car that, uh, and it was, I can't remember what the punchline was, but maybe I was thinking of that and I had the dream. Mystery solved. Good. I'm glad we got to the bottom of it. Feel better? Well, I did, it was just troubling me. You know, I felt like the Pharaoh who needed his dreams uh, interpreted, you know. Well, go, go, so. go, Joseph. <laughs> It's a, I bet a lot of people wonder about their dreams, you know? And I, I don't mean dreams in the sense of of what you dream to be one day. I, I mean dreams about what you're actually dreaming, what's going through your mind. Like, for instance, Austin, have you ever had a dream about an old girlfriend? Never. That, that would never happen. How dare you allegate such things? 
so when it did happen, did it was it? Uh, well, I mean, you weren't even thinking about her, right? It just came into your consciousness. I've never thought be- about her. <laughs> Who? <laughs> It's not like you were longing for her or missed her or anything. She just popped up in one of your dreams, right? If that were to occur, that would be my uh, <laughs> alibi, yeah. So to what do you attribute that? Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm reading into this Mitt Romney dog thing. It's not really, really, oh, man, I've had a rough morning. Not that controversial. <laughs> Oh, it's not? No. Well, the dog survived. He apparently had built some sort of carrier for the dog outside of the car. <laughs> for travel? Like, this was on purpose. Yeah, right. No, that's not okay. No, probably not. Well, I mean, not, he took a lot of heat. He took heat for that. Yeah, but but there's a lot different than, than say, <clears throat> Clark Griswold, this situation. <laughs> than Gordon racing the dog in his car while a leash. <laughs> while trying yeah. to drown it, yeah. <laughs> I felt bad. I mean, I saved it in time, but after all that, I mean, how many dogs do you know can run 65 miles an hour? None. Yeah. Mitt's dog's name was Seamus. How about that? I think it's Seamus. Seamus. <laughs> Not Seamus. <laughs> no. Really? Seamus. Because that's how it's is Irish, right? Okay, yeah. S E A M U S? Yeah. And that's Seamus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was, I, that'd be Seamus. It was an Irish setter, so that would <laughs> yeah, make some sense. Yeah. Yeah. An Irish setter. Seamus. Seamus. An Irish setter. Wow, those are big dogs. This guy's uh, name is Cian. It's Sean. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Seamus, that makes a lot more sense, though. Seamus. (laughs) But, Gordon, uh, maybe next dog you have, you ought to name it Seamus. (laughs) Here, Seamus! Although, as I've said in the past... Go yelling that around the neighborhood. I do like like people names for dogs. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, how many dogs do you know named Mike or Jim or Bill? Or Seamus. Isn't that funny? Don't you think that's kind of funny? No, I like uh, Rover or Spot. Uh, can we let's? Should we get down to business, uh, Gordon? Should we talk a little sports, or, or are we going to continue to be the Dreamweaver here? No, don't. No. Uh, haven't are, heard that. Haven't heard that song in a well, while. Today's never not, will. Yeah, today's not your day. Uh, we've already got band of the day uh, decided upon and for the next month. Uh, little Richard every day. That's fine with me. Little Richard, rest his soul. Yeah. Hmm. I thought that was funny. Do you guys know who Michael Beschlosh is? Is that how you say his name? He's the presidential historian that sends out the photos, historical photos through the years. Uh-huh. And he, I hope I pronounced his name right. But anyway, he uh, he sent out a photo of little Richard sitting in the middle. And he had this obscure band around him that had opened for him over in Hamburg. And it happened to be the Beethoven. I thought that was kind of cool. Is that your British accent? That was not good. <laughs> the bite house. <laughs> Sounds and, like a sneeze. <laughs> and and that's how it should be, is a band like the Beatles opening for a legend. Yeah. <laughs> for for really one of the, the true uh, creators of uh, rock and roll music. You know, that, well, that, that the, cute warm-up act. It, the bite house. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, so. well, I, I think you've got your legends mixed around. I don't want to disparage Little Richard, but I think the Beatles may have uh, well exceeded what Little Richard did. 
Oh, I I couldn't disagree more. Well, you're you're I, in a very small minority, my friend. Talking about Little Richard, there there yeah. is no Beatles if there weren't a Little, little Richard. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like the father of rock and roll. Well, I know, but there were other artists who were also doing rock and roll that the Beatles could have channeled off of. For example? I don't know. Uh, Buddy Holly. Well, Little Richard was a takeoff, you know. Buddy Holly uh, learned from the best. (laughs) <laughs> Little Richard was the OG, man. He was the original. Not to All mention right. that, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody with a, a flamboyant personality was from the South and at a time when that wasn't exactly a normal thing to to have the influence that he did. I uh, I don't think you can say enough about Little Richard. All, all our Beatles jokes aside. He, How about he was, James Brown? I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was the hardest working man in show business. I don't know if you'd consider what he did rock and roll. I guess he had elements of that. Yeah, but he came much later than Little Richard. Did he really? Hmm. Yeah, Little Richard was in the 50s. He had his first uh, his first, we could look up his first big hit, but it was like 1952. And you think Buddy Holly copied off of uh, Little Richard? I think everybody copied Little Richard. Uh, So nobody else would have come up with good rock music had it not been for Little Richard. Correct. That's like saying that no one would have uh, invented the light bulb without Thomas Edison. Hmm. Well, I can't believe you're arguing with me on this, but yeah, Little Richard was amazing. He deserves all sorts of credit. This world right. is a better place because of him. 1955 was his first hit, by the way. Was it really? Okay, that was a way. That was a ways ago. That was 65 years ago. Wow. With Tutti right. Fruity. <laughs> Which is an absolute classic. But, yeah, Little Richard passed over the weekend, and that was a sad one, I thought. Who was the guy who did uh, who uh, who came up with the twist? Who was that guy? Chubby Checker? Chubby, Chubby, how about Chubby Checker? <laughs> I, I kind of think Little Richard had more of an impact than Chubby Checker. How about Chuck Berry? Uh, Chuck, very influential. Yeah. Oh. All right. All right. Well, anyway, that's it. Little Richard. May he rest in peace. No doubt. All right. Let's get to the split story of the day. Austin, uh, if you please. Two guys. Two topics. Two, two, two. two opinions. You talk. Give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It is. And The Zone Sports Network. A lot of people back down the bike. I didn't. I made it a point. I said, just tire him out. Tired of out of you just got to tire him out and i kept hitting him and banging him and hitting him and banging him it took a toll on mike it took a toll and then (laughs) resting him a little bit and then the the series changed and i wish i could have did it earlier i don't know if the outcome would have been different but it it, it was a difference (laughs) and, and beating him down a little bit the glove I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. I had a lot of other things on my mind. <laughs> I love that. Got a lot of other things on my mind. He didn't matter. Man, I, I just, why can't, why can't MJ give a little bit of credit to the other guy? Because uh, that's not, not. Just a little bit of credit. Gary Payton was a great basketball player. 
But to insinuate that he was anywhere near on the level of Michael Jordan is what drives this guy. It's like the overwhelming thing theme throughout yeah. all of this. I mean, yeah, it did he, come through he's time and time again. Just as and petty G- now as he was then. And Gary did uh, in his little uh, little soundbite there. He did say that uh, he thought that. Uh, had he been on Michael Jordan from the beginning of that series, it might have turned out differently. So it, he did. He did cause a spark there. Yeah. Well, and and how, how dare da- he? And right. And how how dare he uh, even hint at the fact that he was somewhat effective against Michael Jordan? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the theme of this whole thing. Which why? Uh, and I know you saw the story last week. I found it interesting that uh, that they just barely got John Stockton's interview for this thing right before the whole COVID mess started. And it was because uh, this quote was uh, was uh, reported. John Stockton didn't want to be part of Michael a Michael Jordan puff piece, and it, it seems like everybody that they interview for this thing, Jordan watches the interview and then just buries the dude. I mean, he just laughed basically <laughs> right at Gary Payton. Gary saying yeah. he thought he did a nice job for a couple of games, and Jordan just laughed at him. Like I wouldn't want to be a part of that either. Isaiah Thomas didn't, you know, he just, it's like we talked about last week. It's Jordan's hit list. It's one after another, and it continues. No no real show of, uh, of that anything's changed in his mind, right? He still hates Isaiah Thomas to this day. I would imagine that if, if Michael Jordan was going to have some respect for other players, that Stockton would be among them. I we'll mean, see. come on. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. But th- then John Stockton's not going to pop off and trigger MJ by saying stuff like, well, if I'd been covering him, we would have won the series from the beginning or whatever. Uh, so, so I don't know. Maybe there will be some honor that uh, MJ will pay because the Jazz have to. In the next two episodes, the final two episodes, the Jazz have to play a major role in, or if not major, substantial. Uh, if that's a different word, because obviously these this we're coming up on the end as it flashes back from the final season. It's coming up on the uh, pinnacle of all that. And the Jazz are right there involved, obviously. What was uh, what was storyline number one out of uh, last night's two episodes for you? Well, the two two main thoughts for me. One is Jordan's relationship with his father, which I have great respect for. I think that is really, really cool that he felt so close to his dad. I got the feeling earlier in the series that uh, that he had a strong feeling for his mom, too. But this bond he had with his dad, I think, is, is really a nice, nice, nice thing. And a nice tribute by Jordan to feel the way he did about his dad. So I still have questions about how, why, I mean, was it just a random act? Uh, All the comments from the commentators in last night's episodes were saying that it was irresponsible for anyone to connect anything Jordan ever did with his father's murder. And that is quite an accusation, you know, and a heavy thing for a son to have to carry with him. And everybody, as as you said, as part of this particular documentary, is uh, siding with with Jordan on on that particular issue. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Has there been has there been more information about what what these these two teenage kids that that uh, cost? Uh, Mr. Jordan is life. Uh, do we know more about what they say happened? Well, yeah, we know that yeah. they were convicted. 
But I mean, can I can I jump in real quick before we we get into that detail? Because I, I have some thoughts of uh, about this scenario. I'm actually glad that this is where you you wanted to go with this because for the first and only time in this documentary during what you're talking about, where people were connecting him with his dad's murder, I ap- I actually felt bad for Michael Jordan. Hmm. You know, I, he, he complains about uh, complains about the the fame and and people you know not knowing him or or disliking him automatically or all this stuff. I mean, he built this image that has made him billions, and you know he did it very intentionally and meticulously. And we're seeing that even with this documentary, where it's all you know masterminded by his airness. And and you know you can get it, you can do that, I guess. But I'm not going to feel bad for you when there's some negative ramifications of, of what you did. But with that said, can you imagine going through the sudden death of your father and having people without any sort of of evidence that I'm aware of make yeah. the connection between Michael basically saying he's responsible for his father's death? I mean, that is that is just a horrible accusation to make. I can't I yeah. can't imagine going through that. I mean, it'd be one thing if there were was some sort of, you know, connection or, or something that would lead somebody to believe that. But just knowing that Michael Jordan likes to place a few bets and taking that leap to he was somehow responsible for his father's uh, his father's death is is ludicrous and reckless. And I can't imagine having to go through something like that. You and I have both driven around the roads of North Carolina before, and I'm, I'm telling you, that is just a tragedy for someone to pull off the road to take a nap because he doesn't want to drive irresponsibly, it's tired, and then to have something like that happen, heartbreaking, unbelievable sorrow. So, yeah, so they, they, they went through that, and, uh, and then... Uh, you know, they also make it three things, not two. They went through the whole baseball episode and what that was like. And I, I, I don't know if I agree with Jerry Reinsdorf that he would have undoubtedly made it to the major leagues. Uh, I, I, I can't speak to that. But uh, the fact that he could play at the level that he played at is, is pretty remarkable for a basketball player to be able to do what he did. Well, it's what, it's how I remember it. It was a circus. I mean, he he was a yeah. circus act. He he wasn't at least at the time a great baseball player. He just wasn't. But well, Reinsdorf said he would have been. Uh, but, and, uh, uh, it was Reinsdorf's circus. Of course, he said that. You know, because you saw some of the criticism in the documentary over, uh, you know, that uh, they were making a mockery of baseball or whatever. So of mm-hmm. course, he's going to defend it. But that was about money. I mean, isn't that why he continued to pay him basketball money even when he was playing paying or playing double A baseball? You know? I don't that know, was, but Ryan was Scorpion, total it sound like he was a hero owner because he did that. I mean, he, yeah, that's, I crazy. Thought, that's crazy. That was self serving. But the, uh, the Barons had had to have had their by far most popular uh, uh, profitable season still to this day, right? I mean, that does does uh, Reinsdorf own that team too? I don't think so, but they're the farm system yeah, for the, the Sox. Yeah, right. Yeah. If he owns so, the if he owns the mothership, you can, he puts them where he wants them. And remember, he so, played for the Barons because the media availability was so right. strong. But how is that lining Reinsdorf's pocket? I'm not so sure what the the kick up in minor league baseball is. I know that uh, the major leagues pay for all the salaries, so I would imagine that they get something that the franchise produces, right? But I I don't know. We'd have to ask uh, our friend Mark Amicone about that how exactly that works, but I'm sure Jerry was making money off of it somehow. Then the other main theme I got out of these last two episodes was uh, Jordan's leadership style 
and uh, it was rather rugged with his teammates. And his teammates seemed pretty honest about that, calling him certain names we can't uh, say on the radio. Uh, essentially, take any synonym you want from the word jerk, and uh, that's that's what they called him. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of people thought Jordan's comment at the end of the one episode about how you can uh, this is the way I play. If you, you, you don't have you play that way, if you want, if you don't want to, then don't. And got emotional about it and reminded everybody who was in control of the production by saying break and uh, got up to walk away to compose himself. But I find it fascinating. And this subject has been a sort of a study of mine through my 40 years of doing this. And that is the, 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 the meaning, the breadth and depth of competitiveness, uh, you know, the competition within one's soul and how one goes about to express that competitive nature and to uh, find uh, the ultimate performance, both as an individual in an individual sport and as an individual in a team sport, and the effect an individual in a team sport can have on that team. And there are different ways of doing it, and there are different ways that are acceptable. Uh, if well, depending upon how you want to view your own ability to accept things. But Jordan's way was aggressive and by, considered by some to be mean, and uh, others uh, do it with a softer touch. And Jordan's way was to ridicule and to threaten and to put fear in the hearts of his teammates. And they said as much. Uh, so, Jake... Before I give my impression of all that, I'm curious to know how you felt about Jordan insulting his teammates and challenging them by calling them out. Um, not very nice. How, how about that? Uh, I don't think he was a good teammate. I, I, I don't. Now, they, they accomplished something that other teams uh, in history had never accomplished. I mean, right down to the, the, the best record right until the, the Warriors broke it. Uh, but talking about the three-peat, and, and Jordan felt vindicated to, to step away. I mean, there, there's no doubt that the way he approached basketball w- worked. I mean, it worked better maybe than anybody else in the history of the game, right? But I, I would guess— Bill, if, Bill Russell might uh, take issue Maybe, maybe, but I think you get what I'm saying. And I uh-huh. think if you ask people—and uh, I'd be curious about this— if you really ask people and they honestly answer, like, uberly, uberly successful people, right? Especially those that maybe built it from nothing— you know, uh, somebody that uh, that built up a, a, a business and was incredibly successful. I, I would guess that if you asked them if they were entirely proud of all of their actions to get to where they got to, I would I bet most of them would say no. That there were some difficult decisions that needed to be made and some things that they weren't necessarily all that proud of. But, the you know, that old saying, Gordon, the ends justify the means. Well, yeah, but that was spoken by Machiavelli. But you get what I'm saying. I mean, you know, we could criticize how the the sausage is made, right? But it's the the deliciousness that anybody cares about. And well, so, me, as, as long as you stay within the confines of uh, these wonderful things we like to call laws, you know, there's 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 people whose method probably isn't all that pretty. But it's all about the success, right? So when you talk about someone who is seeking success and wins uh, in the business world. 
And if they step on people along the way, is that what you're saying that they might be not be proud of looking back at uh, at the damage that they left in their trail uh, how about uh, as this? they were moving forward? Because Jordan, I didn't really get the 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 idea that he was stepping on people. I got the impression that he was challenging people. Well, it depends on how you look at it, right? Well, that's how I look at it. Okay. That he was right. he was getting up in the grill of his teammates saying, play hard, pour your heart and soul into this. And if he got the feeling that you weren't doing that, then he was going to jump all over you for it. Well, you could say the same thing about Rick Majerus. But, you know, his behavior, well, we didn't all approve of all the time, did we? Especially well, now in, well, in no, hindsight. Because they, these, was, he, is, was, he being, uh, was he treating them poorly or was he challenging them? Yeah, yeah, both. It, it depends on it depends on who writes history. It depends on the winner. It, 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 and like it or not, like you know, nobody's going to criticize Michael Jordan too much on how he treated his teammates because they won, which was his goal, uh, which was his goal in the first place. I, I, That's true too. But Rick won too. But he was found out eventually, and that uh, that what what Rick did absolutely crossed the line. Well, he's still revered. Well, cost him his job. But, you know, uh, maybe you can think that if if a coach had taken a swing at a player the way Jordan did, his teammates, now that 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 would have been a headline, wouldn't it? Well, what we're talking so about that, is, is is the same behavior, though. I mean, yeah, well, maybe that's my one, point. one took. But yet you're justifying one and criticizing the no, other. No, I was I was just asking that question rhetorically because of what I had just said prior to it. OK, that 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 would not be acceptable behavior either. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you may, I agree with you that the winner usually does write the history. And in Jordan's case, six, uh, six trophies uh, say that he was doing it the right way. You, I think reasonable people can ask the question, did it help or did it hinder? Could those teams have done what they, done, what they ended up doing without Jordan being a bleep? We'll never know. And it doesn't matter because they've got six rings. Well, it kind of does matter if you're talking about the, the look of the whole thing, right? I don't think he cares about the look. Well, yes, he does care about the look, I suppose. I mean, that's what this that's is That's why about. he's managing this whole production. Right. He cares. All right, stay tuned. We'll get into more of this coming up. Also, Major League Baseball has a plan uh, to uh, reopen. I'm knocking on wood here. And the NBA, uh, we talked a little bit about the call with the players and Adam Silver last week as the news was breaking, Gordon. We'll kind of further digest that as well. Chris Mannix with us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. What's going on top of the 5 o'clock hour, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone? Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Major 
League Baseball and the Players Union are meeting virtually today. They're going to start a proposal to start the baseball season for 2020. Our front office insider Jim Bowden confirming report expected Major League Baseball going to submit a plan to the Players Union on Tuesday. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of the Zone Band of the Day. Today, the late Little Richard. Brought to you by Live Nation Concerts. Buy concert tickets and get the latest tour news and artist insight at LiveNation.com. You heard the clip there talking about Major League Baseball and the owners, Gordon, have uh, come up with a plan that they're going to put before the Players Union, which, by the way, this is far from uh, a done deal, and we can get to that um, uh, coming up here momentarily. But long and short of it, uh, they try to start the season around July 4th, which would be pretty cool. Uh, there's an expansion of playoff teams from 10 to 14. It's an 82-game season. Uh, they're talking about using home st- uh, stadiums in areas that have local and state government approval uh, with no fans. Um, spring training 2.0 would begin in June. Uh, they, they, this is interesting, a universal designated hitter for this season, so both leagues would have the DH. Um, geographical schedules in which teams play only in-division opponents and interleague opponents in a similar area, you know, the, the uh, Yankees and Mets, for example, and a 30-man roster with a taxi squad that would have upward of 50 players available. So that's kind of the the details of it. And we can get into this, too. They're also proposing a revenue split, which is going to be, at very least, uh, controversial. But that's kind of the basics of what the the owners want to do. So what happens to the teams that play their home games in areas that are hotspots or have not yet uh, been cleared to do that kind of thing? Will they play their games in another stadium, some other team stadium? I believe so. That's what they'd have to do, right? I mean... Yeah, I, um, unless uh, unless they went off to their spring training facility, uh, wherever that might be. Which they could also do. I mean, with, with no fans in attendance, things get a little more flexible, right? Just need so what do, you ma- what do you make of the idea? Uh, do you like it? Do you think it uh, is feasible? Do you think it's wise? Uh, but, uh, based on what you know at this point, Jake? Um, I and, do, and I, what you know, and what you know. This is the interesting thing about it, is what you know is probably what they know. They don't know anything that you don't. Right. Well, I I like it because I, I like them thinking about how to how to get it going. I like timelines. I think timelines make us all feel better. The uncertainty about this whole thing, which still exists, by the way, don't get me wrong, uh, but has been part of the the maddening uh, nature of of this situation. So I, I I like it. I like that the the wheels are starting to grind. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be done bef- between here or there, for example, figuring out some of the, de- the details that you just put out there and how states are, are going to behave and what they're going to allow. You know, that's that's a, a big deal. But between now and July 4th, a lot could change. So California doesn't uh, w- certainly wouldn't allow it at the moment. But in a month or a month and a half, you know, would they be willing to have games without fans? Right. Maybe it loosens up enough that you could you could figure out a way to pull it off. Here, here's where, uh, what I'm concerned about, Gordon. I'm concerned they're they're proposing a 50 50 revenue split, which this is the problem. Baseball is the only sport that basically is unsalary capped. And the players have never agreed to a revenue split of any sort like other sports have. They've, they've never gone down that road. So there's a lot of people out there saying that the, this, isn't, this plan isn't going to make it because the players are never going to agree to that. Because they think that that will limit them moving forward, setting a precedent that right. they don't want. Right. 
Boy, wouldn't that be something if if the the owners uh, come up with a plan and then the players vote it down for whatever reason? You know, it might be a good reason, but if they vote it down, oh my gosh, that that seems like I wonder how baseball fans are going to react to that. Well, and see, here's where the NBA comes in, and maybe we can get to more of this um, uh, coming up next, but it's why the news we got about the NBA today extending uh, um, until September the 60-day window that preserves the league's right to terminate the collective bargaining agreement. They said they're going to kick that can further down the road. That's that's really good news because they're uh, if they just – went into the emergency measure that would be bad for everybody and that would set up a potential labor dispute in the NBA. This way, it appears that both sides are a little bit more amenable, whereas that might not be the case in Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah. And what 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 sport has always had the strongest players union? Baseball. Mm-hmm. But see, I, I like the NBA's approach and how they're handling it with their union because it makes things a lot more workable. And the NBA is saying, hey, we're not going to get crazy and take the measures that we can. We're going to stay on hold. We're going to preserve things as they are. They've made some minor adjustments, right? And we're going to keep this thing afloat as long as we can to see how many games we can play. Because really, it's it's bad for the players if they go by the letter of the law, too, because what's the salary cap going to look like over the next several years, right? right? Exactly. Which would be disastrous for the players, actually, and the owners. So it seems like both sides have been very amenable to this point, which is a really good thing. I don't know if that's how it's going to work with baseball. Check me if I'm wrong on this, Jake, but the owners have reduced the uh, the contracts, right? That's have what they, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, there's been some mm-hmm. small adjustments, but for the most part, they haven't blown everything up like they could. Yeah, yeah. Boy, this this is really interesting how this is going to work out. Uh, I I did also notice that uh, that uh, the, the the various information that was provided for NBA players essentially is that there are no good options. Let's let's get into that a little bit coming up next, shall we? Because uh, yeah. we didn't have proper time to really digest it when we saw the news coming across the wire on Friday. So let's get into a little bit about what uh, what Commissioner Silver had to say right around the corner. And uh, if, if all our listeners out there could consider this. How will you feel? How do you feel about what Major League Baseball is trying to get done here? Are you eager to have that season start? How do you feel about games played in various stadiums? How do you feel about uh, empty stadiums? How do you f- how hungry are you for the game? Do you think because of the the way this whole thing has happened that that caution should be uh, more caution should be utilized? Uh, let's uh, let's think about those things. Huh? All right, want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. More big shows straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So put your hands together and please welcome... This is Utah's best sports radio. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding you forward on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big 
Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, coming up at the top of the 3 o'clock hour, really excited about this, actually. We're going to talk to Rodney Smith Jr. He is the founder of Raising Men uh, Lawn Care Services, and uh, they're out there doing some good in the world, and we'll, we'll kind of cast some light on that coming up at the top of 3 o'clock hours. We uh, uh, like to focus on some positive stories out there, you know, our partner profiles and those sorts of things, Gordon. It's important to us to get some of these messages out into the world. You'll get no argument from me on that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Adam Silver and his phone conversation with the uh, players and the players' union on Friday, Gordon. It was about an hour long. A lot of the details were reported by uh, various different people. Um, the biggest question that was answered, in my opinion, because I think there were more questions than answers, really, but the biggest question that was answered, in my opinion, was that uh, NBA makes 40% off their gate, which we didn't know what that number was. Adam Silver laid that out there. And he didn't paint a very bright picture per se, but it was almost, I almost got a vibe of kind of desperation to it. Like we've got to do whatever we can to, to save every dollar we can, I guess. Well, I guess 60% is better than nothing, right? Right. If you wanted to look at it from that perspective. But I think the NBA is really keeping its eye on, on uh, how medically sound uh, their policy should be. And that's why there are so many unanswered questions at this point. And you heard, I don't want to get political here or anything, but you heard Donald Trump uh, over the weekend praising, what is it, the UFC? And uh, the fact that they uh, had had their event and welcome back sports and all that stuff. And uh, I, 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 look, the, the sports guy in me, wants wants that but i i want it done responsibly i want it done in a way that that can preserve the safety and good health of those involved so that that's what i think the nba is still keying on yeah and they adam silver said likely it would be you know kind of the bubble solution that we've talked about for so long in orlando and uh in uh las vegas and um basically said that uh, testing would have to be at a certain level. Uh, they estimated about 15,000 tests and couldn't be taking those tests away from people who need it. So that's a standard that hasn't been met yet, to my knowledge. That, so have those... you heard the progress in that regard? Um, I mean, mostly anecdotal stuff. Uh, uh-huh. the, the UFC used 1,500 tests, I believe, to put on their event over the weekend. Um, and they're getting that from somewhere, right? All right. And uh, the Magic last week said that they weren't taking any tests away from um, frontline workers, but they were right. planning on testing all their players. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's really a policy out there at the moment. I can tell you anecdotally, wish, my, my grandmother I I, lives in Virginia, go and she uh-huh. got te- she's asymptomatic and got tested over the weekend. So, I mean, maybe in some states they're, they're closer to that than others. That would really be interesting to know what that number is, huh? How, uh, how many are there? How many how many tests are available to the public? How many are needed? I'm sure this stuff is is uh, it must be kept somewhere. Uh, how many? What the reality is? What the optimum situation is? Uh, because if it gets to the point where they do have enough tests, then now now you're kind of talking, right? Now now, now you're ready to maybe 
maybe have these games again. Well, I think it's just a tad more complicated than that because it's not necessarily about the number of tests. I have no doubt in my mind that the NBA could procure enough tests to make this work. I mean, we're talking about, you know, owners, Gordon, that are some of the most rich and powerful people in the entire country, right? The NBA yeah, but the has, perception that they're dealing with when other people issue. need it. Yeah, that's, that's the issue. And that's a little bit more complicated than, hey, do you guys have the test? Well, yeah, of No, no, I do. know, but that's what I was talking about yeah. when I was saying that uh, across the board you need to have enough tests. I'm not talking about right. for the NBA. Right. There needs to be enough testing out there that not only, in my opinion, not only that the frontline workers are, are taken care of, but, you know, they— they're, they need to be testing on some level asymptomatic people, too, because you can't make it look like the NBA is putting their players ahead of people that actually need it. Right. And we've all played out the doomsday scenarios in our minds of, of being frightened to death about being asymptomatic and, and um, you know, socializing with, with loved ones that may be vulnerable. You know, I mean, it's right. it's my biggest fear. I don't know about yours, Gordon, but that's, that's really my biggest fear is that, uh, you know, I would never want to put uh, a loved one who's at risk in jeopardy. And I think a lot of people are thinking that. So if you're the NBA and you're saying, oh, yeah, we're not only testing asymptomatic people, but doing it, you know, over and over and over again, that's not necessarily the best look to you know, uh, Bob out there who is living with his mother because she needs care, you know? Right, right. So that's and that's the hard part. I thought that story that the Tribune had was really interesting that like 60 percent of uh, of the cases have been traced back to a household. You know, and that's kind of scary when you think about it. Right. Because the people who are in your household, nobody wants to hurt anybody inside your household, at least. Not not anybody that uh, you would want to associate with, and uh, but that's that's a real concern that uh, this is this is how this thing gets passed around. And maybe the NBA, so, like it appears, like the UFC is doing, maybe they just ignore it and say, "Hey, we can get the test. We're going to do it." And you can be mad at us, but whatever. We're we're also doing some good by bringing back jobs and and getting things going again. So it'll be my whole point. My whole point with this whole thing has been to, to make sure that whatever you do is done safely. And obviously, that's what you would you would hope everyone would be thinking. But if it can be done safely and there are enough tests available for the public as a whole, uh, and I don't know how far off we are from that, if that's the goal, uh, then 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 go for it. I mean, if 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 you can keep folks safe. That's the idea. And that would obviously be without fans. Yeah, I mean, which is not a good option. It's it's not. I mean, forty percent uh, of revenue is from the gate. That's that's an astounding number. So, but if sixty percent comes from somewhere else, like I said, sixty. Right, is it's than something. Nothing. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, Adam Silver said that there are only bad options out there. That's true. There, there's there's no magically good solution. There's just not. There's just a lot of damage control. If you want to look at it that way. Here's a question we ask every day. It's are you any closer toward feeling optimistic that the season's going to be actually played? Oh, I'm more optimistic than ever. I really am. At least a portion of it. I, I think we're, and Silver said that to the players too, that he wants to play a full playoff. He wants to do the whole thing. So, you know. Yeah, I almost get the feeling that, uh, well, not almost, I do get the feeling that if they are going to get uh, the postseason in, that's all they're going to get in. Pretty close. Maybe a couple of tune-up games like we've talked about, but yeah. But even not you. games that would count in the standings. So I don't know how yeah. you would, to be honest. Then right? you have the Jazz playing the Thunder. 
That would be something. It'd be a great series. I'd watch it. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> what am I going to do today? Oh, there's an NBA playoff game. Ah, nah. Ah. I don't want to watch that. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Rodney Smith Jr. He's the founder of Raising Men Lawn Care Service. Uh, we'll find out what that's all about. Coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.